Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 61. Joel Maxfield from Matthews, Inc. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Jana Waller from Skullbound TV, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on Stitcher, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. This is Milo Hansen, and you're listening to the Big Buck Registry, the Big Buck Podcast. Hey folks, this is Dean Vanier with Northwoods Common Sense, and you're listening to my favorite and most informative hunting podcast show on the internet, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is Jay Sky, your host of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. I'm psyched that you're joining us again right here on the show, and on the other line, from Ohio. My Bam. Friend, whoa. Field correspondent from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. And Bam. Dusty's already bamming in. What's going on, man? You must be pumped up. I am. I'm all kinds of jacked up. I, I don't I, I really don't know why, but I'm just excited tonight. Are you? Yeah. Would you have a little jolt on the way home or something? Uh, you know, it, it, little little five hour energy. I've been I've been eating whitetail mineral on my cereal the last few mornings, and I think that makes a difference. A little dust on your cornflakes. Yeah, I put a little infraction right there on my cornflakes and eat it. Oh man, this gave me all kinds of energy. An infraction, man. Well, a deer eat it, dirt and all. So you must like slurp the milk when you're done. <laughs> I'm telling you, I got my face down there licking the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> like the, uh, it's almost whitetail season who is not jacked up is what i want to know oh i know isn't that the truth though every day i just walk out of the house and i'm smiling i mean seriously if you're eating infraction right there in your you know it's a whitetail deer mineral i'm sprinkling it you know just, just about a tablespoon in the morning that that does a hunter just right it's, you're not really eating that stuff are you no but it sounded good that does sound awesome um, <laughs> i've been uh slurping down the apple cider vinegar i hear it's good for you yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm reading Hunt Neck today, right? Yeah. Which is your your creation. Dusty Hunt Neck. Dusty Hunt Neck. And it's, it's been a good time, man, really. Yeah, and, and, you know, sometimes they're funny, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what that meant, but it's so odd that it's funny. <laughs> right on. Um, I don't know what it meant, but right. it, it was right at the moment. But there was one in particular kind of caught me for, for a funny today. Oh, yeah? It was the one about um, something about buck bomb. Have you ever sprayed yourself with buck bomb? You might be a hunt neck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, if you've ever shot yourself with a buck bomb, sprayed it all over you, you just might be a hunt neck. All right, so have you actually accidentally sprayed yourself with buck bomb uh, before? Yeah, you know, actually, I was like, first one I ever used. I was like, man, how's this thing work? So I'm like, there's like a little pull tab, you know, you pop the tab back and yep. push it down and it goes wide open. Well, here I am looking at this thing. So I got it all up the front of my hunting riggings or right up the chest of it. Man, it stunk like a, I don't know what it's, I thought I got sprayed with a skunk for a minute. It doesn't smell like regular like deer urine that you'd get in other product jars, you know? Ugh, I, I don't know what the smell is in that thing, but right. I cracked that thing off, shot me right in the chest. I don't tell a lot of people this, but I did pretty much the same thing. <laughs> 
because it was brand new. You didn't know how does this work? Yeah. You push this thing down, and I thought that it, if you let up and it released, it would stop. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not like a little push tab. You push it down, it's locked in, baby. You better. You're getting sprayed. Oh yeah, I mean it, it, it's literally it, it's wide up. When you when you click the tab down, there's no letting out of it. It yeah. just it's on. I mean it, it's pressurized pure duck or buck urine. Yep. I gotta say, Jay, if you've done that, you might be a hunt neck. <laughs> I guess I'm a hunt neck man. I've literally now. I mean, I've used it in the past. I've actually shot deer over it, which so it, it does work. Um, but I've uh, pushed it down and then launched it like a hand grenade. You know, throw it out there as far as I could. Once that's, I some got, hunt, that's some hunt neck stuff right that's there. Some real hunt neck stuff. Yep. So and it it, it, it drew in the deer. I have to. So you got a good laugh out of that. I did. I did. It really struck my <laughs> funny bone. Job well done. So that yeah. one, that one was very funny. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Check it out, D- Dusty Hunt Neck, right there yeah. on Facebook. Because I actually did do that once. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a lot of experiences that. You know, I'm I'm going to say that everybody at some point in time will will live the experience that I'm talking about. I mean, you know, I'm a hunter, you're a hunter. Everybody that joins in on Dusty Hunt Next is going to be a hunter, and something's going to replay a situation right there in your mind and get get you a good laugh. That you know that it's going to happen. Yep. All right. So here's my question: um, that from the deer that you've seen so far, scouting routinely or just in general observation of areas maybe driving by a place in your car or whatever, are you seeing more big bucks this year than you did last year or less? I want to say more. Uh, the crops here, Jay, in Ohio are absolutely thriving. Mm. Some some of the biggest corn we've seen in years, um, soybeans are dang near chest high in areas. The crops here in Ohio is definitely thriving You know, for the 2014-15 whitetail season. It's going to be... I th- I think there's going to be some record breaking bucks harvested this season. I I got a feeling. I'm I'm seeing some monsters out in the fields. I got a couple on trail camera that you know I'm like wow. From last year to this year, they put on thirty plus inches. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I I think the moisture and the the everything has just been just perfect for some phenomenal antler growth. Seems that way. I, I mean, I I don't usually see bucks out and about at this time of year. But so far this year, I've seen three really, actually four, I take it back, four different shooter bucks in New Hampshire already. Right on. Just, and that, you know, just driving that, around. That's something that, you know, looking back on previous years of me and you knowing each other, that I haven't really seen any buck footage come up on your Facebook and stuff. Exactly. It just wasn't there for you to, you know, take advantage of yeah. getting a video or uh, snapping a picture. Just never had it. This year I've had several opportunities and captured a couple and then um just on the way home I'm starting to see some small bucks too, but it seems like everything I'm seeing are bucks. It used to be every it's just doe everywhere, but now for whatever reason this year it's it's buck city. Well, I, like I said I think that, you know, it's the the weeds for one are higher. Like you drive here where normally it would be kind of a low weed covered grassy field. Yep. The weeds are taller and they feel more comfortable. You know, just what I'm observing here in Ohio is that areas that I hadn't seen deer before, bucks in particular, the weeds, the, you know, the, the honeysuckle, all the undergrowth has gotten larger. So the bucks feel more comfortable coming out in. We've had the rain to make some phenomenal 
uh, CRP fields, and where where we're short last year, it's tall this year, and they're they're it's almost the comfort zones opened up for them. They're, they're coming out in yeah. there. I have to admit that all, you know we're not known for we're not a crop state necessarily, but the crops that are grown corn for for cattle and things like that for basically uh, milk milk uh, farms, the corn this year is taller than I've ever seen it. I have to, it's kind of a similar experience. Yeah, dairy farms there, uh, you know, are pretty common and. They, uh, you know, definitely corn here in Ohio, and, and it sounds like corn in New Hampshire. We're actually, like, I walked in the field not t- but three or four days ago. I just want to see what the, the interior ears look like on the corn. And I was like, I walked down, I was like, there ain't no ears on none of this corn. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm six foot, about one, maybe six, two on a good day. Right. How big a boy are you? But, uh, you know, I walked in there, and the corn was actually six to eight inches above my head, and I wasn't seeing it. Hmm. Until I got to look, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's way up there. This corn is huge, you know. And everybody says, oh, what's the ideal corn? Well, the ideal corn is one ear, and it's very large. A, a stalk can grow 20 ears, you know, if it wants to. But ideally, when they, you know, they uh, make a seed or build a seed, they want one ear. One large, very high productive ear, you know. that it, right. one, one ear feeds the best off the stalk, and that, you know, it, they're shooting for the highest yield out of one ear on the stalk. But um, I think this year they, they've actually got some phenomenal crops. Interesting. I'm seeing the same thing, and maybe that's the reason we're seeing deer, because the food's just plentiful and go and roam anywhere they want. They're not kind of locked in. Yeah, I, I agree to that. Interesting. All right. Well, I I'm getting a feeling, and I don't I've don't usually have this feeling this time at this time of year. I'm getting the feeling it's going to be a very good year across the country, New Hampshire, Ohio. I'm getting a good feel for both of those states to have really good deer seasons this year. Yeah, I hope it increases your guys' herds up there in New Hampshire. I, I want to see you guys harvest a 150 inch buck regularly. That would be cool. It would be, you know. It just uh, and all it takes is one phenomenal year to get the the right antler antler growth mixed into the herd, you know. And they start breeding, and that spreads, and next thing you know, your 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 herds increased by antler, you know, bone mass and size. Yep, it'd be really good for you guys. Yeah, that would be a that'd be a day a dream come true for me in New Hampshire. That'd be awesome. Um, Dust, do you ever hang out in a garage? You know, absolutely. Uh, a garage is somewhere that some phenomenal ideals can spark up. I agree. I like just hanging out in my garage in general. It just feels like a, a man type of area. You know, I like just hang out. It's uh, dirty. You know, might be where you hang your deer. You know, all kinds of things. There's just a lot of toys and it's a little cluttered, that kind of stuff. But that garages historically have been places where great businesses are formed. Yeah, I, I agree to that. And it's something that. You know, it seems like a garage is not only a laxative to go to the restroom as soon as you go out there, but it's also stimulation for your brain. I swear it is. It is funny. I think just funny things happen in garages. Um, great bands, great uh, musicians have formed bands in garages and barns. So um, there's something special about in the Americana uh, about a garage or a barn. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I have to say that tonight's guest or today's guest is also from that genre, so to speak, because the person we're speaking with today is Joe Maxfield from Matthews Bows Inc. Awesome. I'm assuming you've heard of Matthews Bows before. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you haven't heard of a Matthews Bow, you, you ain't been out in, in the hunt neck world. Yeah. And as the story goes, they started Matthews in a garage. That's crazy. And now they have over 450 employees. 
phenomenal. And they, they were definitely one of those companies that revolutionary or revolutionized the bow industry back in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, the technology that they come out with back then was pretty impressive. It was. And it, it just kind of shocked the bow industry. And every it was a big buzz back then. Since then, the competitors have caught up, but they're still staying ahead of the time. And here's the funny thing is that Matt McPherson, who's really the, the, the first person who, who started it, was with Joel Maxfield in the garage. But Matt is also now making guitars. So it's like this whole musician company, you know, sparked in a garage kind of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more common that huge ideals and, and huge businesses that are very well established now started in a garage. <laughs> Just you got to love an American garage. I don't know what it is. Let's get Joel on, on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Call him up. Joel Maxfield, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jake. Wow, we're psyched to have you on. It's, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Matthews, and I know there are a ton of listeners and a huge part of our audience that are too. I'm sure there's a few that may like other products, but Matthews has, uh, in my mind, revolutionized the, the bow industry for quite a while and has, has stepped up their game, and the competitors had to kind of step up too. So they're they're a game changer in my mind. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, the history of Matthews is, is very, very humble. It's uh, it's funny for me because it is a, a large company today, one of the largest archery manufacturers in the world. And I walk into this facility and, and see it all in uh, day-to-day life, and it's just it's amazing to me. But the beginnings of Matthews were, were extremely humble. It, like a lot of American successful businesses, it was two guys in a garage. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, my my history in sporting goods uh, stems all the way back to, you know, grade school and, and pretty much sporting goods is what I've done. I managed a bow shop by the time I was 16, 17 years old. I was a manager of the local bow shop and then uh, went to college. And when I got out of college, I started a retail archery pro shop and uh, ran that for several years. And then leaving the pro shop, I teamed up with Matt when he had McPherson Archery. And then when McPherson sold... We moved it to Alabama, and uh, my wife and I, and I come home from the the uh, transition from McPherson of Minnesota to McPherson of Alabama, and then uh, Matt came over to the house and showed me a new design, and we started Matthews. All right. Very cool. Now, what is your position right now with Matthews? I am currently vice president of marketing at Matthews Incorporated. Okay. Let's go back to the garage story. How who okay. were the two who were the people behind the inception of Matthews in the beginning? Okay, yeah, you know, actually, yeah, I can I can tell that story. I'll I'll just start with McPherson. Sure. Um, McPherson Archery was a small archery company in southern Minnesota. It was actually owned by Matt and two other partners, and they ran McPherson for a few years. Then Matt sold to his business partners. And then McPherson sold again and moved to Alabama. And after that sale, Matt then started Matthews. And he had been building compound grips uh, with a company called Great Grips. And he manufactured wooden grips that fit on the riser for several years. And uh, and that was a a company that he had kind of after McPherson before he started Matthews. And again, that company was called Great Grips. We built grips for several other bow manufacturers. And and 
upon the last sale of McPherson, it opened the doors for Matt to start a new bow company, and that's what that's when we uh, started Matthews. So he yeah. started in a garage somewhere in in Minnesota. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what were the early days like? You know, what were you doing in the garage? Uh, at, uh, what was Matt doing? Was he hand carving stuff? How did it all kind of develop? Where did he get his inspiration? Well, at the time that we started Matthews, there was a lot of uh, fast flight was new. Um, Dyneema wasn't even available yet. Some of the string materials that were out there, the the industry had moved away from teardrop systems and was moving towards all string systems and that fastens fastened to posts in the cam. So timing was a major uh, complication of compound bows, uh, synchronization of the cams on both ends of the bow. And what Matt did is come out with a single cam system that virtually didn't require synchronization between the, the cams because the cam was working off one axis with an idler wheel on the top. So the single cam answered a lot of problems uh, that, that were uh, inherent with systems of the day, and it, it just uh, it simplified things, and, sure. and it just made, made uh, the bows virtually trouble-free at that time. So was he in the garage just developing this cam over and over and over until he got it right? Was he using different materials or writing it down? How, do, how is he working his way through the research and development piece of that? Actually, actually, Matt's story on that and, and uh, how that occurred was he literally, uh, he's always designing. Matt just loves to design, and it doesn't matter if it's archery equipment or guitars or golf clubs or, or anything that he's interested in. He's got a way to make it better, or he's got a different way of, of um, completing a project. So he literally sat up in bed in the middle of the night and thought, oh my word, here's a way to take care of the synchronization problems. And he had the single cam system in his head, jotted it down in a notebook, and started to work on the system and build prototypes. And it didn't take any time to build the prototypes. And, and he had uh, had the single cam um, system patented and in, in, uh, in place. No kidding. So it was uh, like an epiphany when he was sleeping. It, it, was, it was it was a, a, a God-given idea that, that just it set him right up in bed, and he took note, and that uh, that was the beginning of the single camp. I love it when that happens, when you're laying in bed and you just come up with a, a great idea. It solves all kinds of problems. So Okay, so he, he experienced that situation. That's pretty cool. Yes, he did. Yeah. What do you, what type? When did he start? Uh, or what were the types of materials that he was using for the prototype? Was it metals, plastics. What were we talking about? Our thought process at Matthews was we were going to build the highest end bows, the materials of the day, and the designs and uh, our concepts would allow. And we came out with a Matthews bow that was higher price than what most people were used to in the compound bow market. But it was a fully machined riser. It was the the you know very highly designed limbs that that had a lot of uh, um, testing behind it. And you know we we just we wanted to build the highest end highest um, we wanted to build the highest end highest level of quality bone arrows that we could possibly build. And our goal was that at some point in time, if we could have a company where we built 5,000 of these really high-end, high-quality bows, that would be a nice-sized company. Well, the second year, we had you know, succeeded in, in the numbers that we had dreamt of one day having, and really, Matthews has never stopped growing since. Oh, wow. No kidding. What year are we talking about, Joel? We started Matthews in May of 1992. 
Okay. And so it's been around for 22 years. 92, got it. And was that when the epiphany kind of came into Matt's head? Yeah, I think Matt maybe had the concept of the single cam for for a while before that. He's 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 always uh, designing. Like I said, he he's uh, continuously creating and designing and and reengineering and developing different ways of of doing things better. Gotcha. And when did you meet Matt for the first time? Where I met Matt for the first time was when I was an employee. I was managing the local pro shop in Austin, Minnesota. And Matt came through the door, and that's where his partners were, and uh, that's where they started McPherson Archery. So McPherson was a local bow company to Austin, and I was manager of the local pro shop, the kid that, that hung out and ran the bow shop. Gotcha. How old was Matt when you first met him? You know, I'm, I'm not positive, but I believe he started McPherson when he was 28. 28. So you were hanging out running a pro shop, and he he just showed up and started to develop Matthews from there. When did Well, you, actually, McPherson. That's where he started McPherson. McPherson. And you, yeah. you you were involved with McPherson through the, the journey there as well. Is that correct? Right, yeah. Uh, McPherson, was, uh, McPherson was in Austin, and I, uh, I had the pro shop, and then I went to school locally, uh, college uh, after high school, locally in, uh, in Austin, Minnesota, and worked part-time at McPherson Archery. And then Matt sold McPherson to his partners, and uh, then I actually went to work for McPherson full-time for a few years. And then um, when it sold again, I moved McPherson down to Rooton, Alabama, and got the shop set up and things running down there and came back to Minnesota, and and, uh, Matt started Matthews, and I teamed up with him. Gotcha. And in the meantime, between McPherson and Matthews, Matt was developing grips. Is that, that's what you had mentioned before. Correct. Um, you know, after after Matt um, sold McPherson and before he started Matthews, he had a company called Great Grips. And at Great Grips, he built a duplicating machine and built from blocks of wood grips that would uh, we built grips for Bear, for High Country, for several several other bow manufacturers. And uh, we kept Great Grips as Matthews started. We continued to build build grips for other manufacturers, but then. Um, Mick, or, uh, Matthews started to consume more grips than what, <laughs> what we could even create, so so it got absorbed, and you know, Great Grips just became our our own grip manufacturing. Gotcha. So you stopped making grips for other companies. You started making grips for yourself at that point. Yeah, the demand the demand from Matthews of our own grips was so high that we were unable to continue to make grips for other manufacturers and and, uh, the grip manufacturing just become absorbed into into the Matthews company. Without scaling up to something you didn't really want to do at that point. Well, we were, yeah, what's what's amazing is uh, we were scaling everything up at the time because the growth was happening so fast that, uh, that, you know, we were, we were building twice as many grips as we did the year before just to accommodate ourselves. (laughs) Gotcha. Interesting. So Matthews really kind of took off, and this is ni- May 1992 that it, it opened up, and two years later, it's going gangbusters. Right. Matthews did grow very fast. In its early days, it, uh, it it grew extremely quick for the size company that we were. But, you know, I think that we, we really cracked into a high-end bow market. The maturity um, age and level of bow hunters was up there, and the products available to them at a very quality high-end um, part just wasn't there. You know, the the high-end bows was a market that we maybe 
um, tapped into that, that wasn't real available to uh, to the mature, you know, very serious bow hunters. Right. What was the thought process at that point where you knew you were going to be launching a quality product, but you you also knew it was going to be one of the highest priced bows on the market? Did you have any? Were you did you have any fear about sending it out that way, or did you have a lot of market research done? No, in fact, in fact, I'll give you a story. This is a, this is pretty interesting. At the very beginning of Matthews, we of course had been with McPherson, so we knew a lot of the retailers across America. And uh, you know, pretty much when we started Matthews right out of the gate, we had a thousand retailers wow. to to work with that we were that we were friends with and had done business with in the past. Sure. Well, we, Matt had the designs for the bow, but we were an upstart company. We didn't have CNC machines and all the fancy equipment back then. So we virtually worked with local vendors from the area, and we'd have this guy build us some axles, this guy build us some cams, these people put together some limbs for us. We'd have the risers machined at this machine shop, all to our specifications course. But we didn't invest a lot in the startup. We actually had those vendors supply us with parts enough to build 100 bone arrows and we, we, we scheduled those parts all to arrive one specific day. So when that day arrived and those parts arrived, we jumped on it, built strings, assembled bows, put all the parts together, and made 100 bows before we ever contacted anybody or told anybody what we were even doing. Then wow. we sat down behind the phones, and uh, and we called our retailer friends that had been, been loyal to us and, and uh, helped us through McPherson. And uh, we told them, hey, we got a new bow company. This is a brand new startup bow with a brand new system. It's called a single cam. And we sold all of those 100 bows COD so that we could get the money back in and run around and pay the vendors that had provided us the 100 bows worth of parts. So we paid those small vendors and then uh, ordered another 100 bows worth of parts and did it again and did it again, you know, and... We were a, a COD-only company until just really a few short years ago. No kidding. So you, you had to. You, it was kind of a little risky. Like you had to send it out, ask for the money, get it back, pay your vendors off, and slowly start building profit over time, so that you could then start not having to do COD eighteen years later, something like that. <laughs> right. right. But you know this, the whole COD thing. It was kind of funny at first. We did it because you know it was a good way to uh, provide capital for a startup business. You know, we'd we'd send out the bow COD and and we'd get the money back from UPS. And then we'd pay the vendors and we'd get some more parts and all that. But what we figured out uh, real quick was it not only kept us healthy because we didn't have to have terms extended way out there, but mm-hmm. it also kept dealers real real healthy. And it, it taught the dealers that um, you know they they had the money invested in these bows up front, so that was you know, that was a one on the rack that they were trying to sell. They had their money right already invested. Sure, kind of gives them some motivation to get it unloaded, so they can get their money back. That's right. Yeah, that's a good method. I I think uh, something that we don't do a lot or haven't done, you know, is that credit thing. <laughs> It can be uh, a bit detrimental, so that's great. And so this the, this whole thing took off ni- 1994. You're sending how many bows were you sending out? You only had a hundred to work with, right, or two hundred to work with. Right. The first year, the very first year, 1992, I think we sold like we sent out like 500. Second year, we sold 1500, and then it just kept on. It it grew really, really quick after that. I mean, it it just was it, it was doubling and tripling in size. You know, it was uh, it had. 
it had very, very quick growth. But, you know, people right away seen the advantage of the system. You didn't even have to explain the system, really. They Dealers could look at it and say, oh, my word, no timing. And time, like I said, timing was a huge issue back then, and it still is today with two cambos, right. um, where, but the string materials weren't back then what they are today. So timing being a big issue, anybody that looked at the single cam system recognized right away, oh boy, this is this is a solution right here. This is this is trouble free. So this the system just took off very quick. Right. So you solved the major problem that was in the bow industry about timing. Um right. and it essentially revolutionized the, the, the bow system at that point. Is it am I correct in saying that? It yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, it did. It it for sure revolutionized uh, archery. In fact you know, all the systems that are out there today are somewhat a derivative of the single cam, and, and for sure they're created to help somewhat solve the same problems that we're solving with the single cam system. Right. Now, you mentioned that the strings are different today than they were then. We're talking not too long ago, just about 20 years. What needed to develop in the string component of the bow in order to keep up with the advancement of the single cam? Well, string materials have just gotten better. I mean, you know, the, there's uh, there's just uh, blends now, and there's just um, processes and, and uh, wax contents, and just there's a lot of, of contributing factors on, on why the materials are better, mainly blends. But, um, you know, it's just a better material, and it's just more consistent now. And they don't have the stretch and the creep that they used to have. I mean, strings used to... Uh, um, you know, initially stretch, and then they would continue to creep for for the entire time the string was on on the bow. And now they've got uh, they've got materials that are much much better at that, and, and you don't see that kind of stretch and, and creep as much. Although, like I said, even though even today the systems do take into consideration timing because it it still is a, a crucial factor on making the bow shoot properly. Gotcha. So it is it. That the bowstrings introduce new material, or it's just the same old material, just redone in different ways to make it more efficient and and better. Well, there there is uh, there are new materials for sure. There's okay. new there's new materials. You know, there's there's uh, different blends of materials that are are combined to make uh, the the end string material better. Okay, so you nineteen ninety it's nineteen ninety four. You just revolutionized the bow industry. You've got some money coming in. You're sending out the bows, and you, you sold 1,500 or so in the first couple of years. And this was being sold all across the country at that point? It was, yeah. Yeah, we would, uh, you know, like I said, we had a, a pretty good knowledge of a, of a substantial dealer base through McPherson Archery because Matt, of course, and, and myself are both with McPherson. So we knew a lot of the retailers, and we knew our, our the big accounts in, in the country that sold uh, you know, specialized shops that sold archery equipment. Gotcha. So move on, 1995, 96, 97. Um, what's going on in those years? Are you trying to expand or and keep the same technology, or, or have you started to research more technology, or are you just trying to make what you made better? Well, it was, you know, from – the following years were really de- developmental stages. I mean, okay. you know, we continued to improve on the single cam, um, but for the most part, it was trying to keep up. I mean, Matthews was growing at, uh, you know, leaps and bounds. Like I said, the, the growth was amazing. In fact, we made the Inc. 500 um, one of the fastest growing companies uh, two years in a row. Oh, wow. What, what year was that? 
uh, you know, I'm not positive of what years those were. I think it was 96, 97. Okay. Something like that. Gotcha. Because I just remember that all of a sudden everybody was talking about Matthews. Like there there wasn't a buzz in the archery industry for a long time since Fred Bear, and then all of a sudden, everything was that you mentioned was Matthews, Matthews, Matthews. It was the thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it, you know, it, was, it, it, uh, it really was a superior product to anything that was out there because it, it was able to utilize the new materials that were available and not cause problems within the system. So, I mean, it, it was the, the highest quality products out there. It had technologies that solved a lot of the problems of the day, and uh, and it was high end. I think we we reached into that mature market, and you know a lot of the high end serious bow hunters uh, gravitated towards Matthews, and and there really wasn't you know high end bows out there per se. I mean you know it wasn't a there wasn't a high end and a low end. It's just everybody had a bow model, but but this was this was the the uh, you know the, the top of the food chain. I mean this was right. this was the, the nicest bows available. What was the entry level price point? Uh, when they first came out? When they first came out, I think we started at $450. It was the first, it was called a standard. Um, first first year it came out, it was just called a solo can. And then the second year, when we had another model, we thought we better rename that first model. So we called it a standard. And then uh, um, then, we, then we had model names from, from there out. But I think the standard sold at $450. And, and to give you an idea, at, at that point in time, most compound bows were $300. So, I mean, it, it was more expensive than what was out there because of the materials and, and the innovation and the processes that we put into building it. Gotcha. All right, so you're, you're $125 more than most bows at that point. And we're selling a bow that, that uh, is new, that nobody's ever heard of. It's a system that nobody's ever heard of. Right. It's, it's a, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was... It was quite a, a boulder to move because we, we, uh, we, we really were the new kids on the block. Right. 1994, 95, you're growing leaps and bounds. You're in one of the, your Inc. 500 fastest growing companies. What kind of pressures did it put on you as a core group of individuals? Uh, did it, did it, was it a stressful situation or was it just, you couldn't be happier? I, yeah, no, couldn't be happier. It was fantastic. It was, it was one of those things where, you know, to be a part of something like that is just a, a, a really, really phenomenal. And uh, uh, it didn't matter if we worked 20 hours a day. And, and it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I for sure had no issues punching out at five o'clock and working until ten <laughs> or right, whatever. Right. You know, I mean, it wasn't about it wasn't about work. It wasn't about money. It was about building a company um, and, and building a successful company. And, and everybody felt that way. I mean, uh, all the first employees. A lot of the first employees are still here. I I was in the first employee. The second employee was Bob Ohm. He's still here. Works in promotion. One of our very first employees was uh, Mike Zebel. He's here in marketing. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of the original employees that are still involved with the company. And all of us just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it was not about a job or money or anything else. It was about being successful and uh, and, and making our our products uh, gotcha. the best that we could make them. So, the end of the '90s, you're kind of getting in the swing of things. Things are happening. Everybody's happy. You're just you're loving life. And the what did you do at after that first couple of years when you're you know, you're, you're pulling parts from all over. Did you change the, the the access point of the parts? Did you start making your own? How did how did the company start to evolve with just the, the basic parts to put the bow together? 
Well, we, we moved to Wisconsin in 1996. In November of 1996, we moved over to Sparta, Wisconsin. And at that point in time, um, we were still jobbing out a lot of the components, but we were starting to bring things in-house more and more. And uh, as, as we're talking today, we, we virtually build them from scratch. I mean, we, we are capable of building everything in-house and, uh, and for the most part do. Gotcha. So everything was built in-house. There wasn't any outsourcing, nothing. Everything was American-made at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything's all, yeah. All components, all parts of, of Matthews and Mission Bows are, are American-made. It's all built, and for the most part, it's all built here in Sparta. Um, we we uh, job out very, very little, uh, very few of the components, if any, anymore. We, we, we build most everything uh, in-house. Gotcha. So you mentioned something just then, the Mission Bows. The Matthews mm-hmm. line, did Mission grow from the Matthews line at some point? Yeah, the idea of Mission Archery was really to be able to utilize innovations that were still leaps ahead of our competition that Matthews had already moved beyond. <laughs> and it, it allowed us to, to build a more cost-effective bow with real high-quality parts and high-quality innovation. So it's kind of becoming it's 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 the same company making a different kind of bow, but the the basis for it is that it's just more technology. Yeah, yeah. Mission. Uh, we started Mission in two thousand seven. In Mission Archery, it it uh, some of the practices in manufacturing that our competition utilizes. We utilize in the Mission line, which okay. we won't use utilize in the Matthews line. For example. Matthews bows are all built from uh, either forgings or solid billets, mm-hmm. where mission bows, um, some of the models are built from extrusions, um, extruding aluminum and then machining it to, to net is an accepted way to build bow and arrows. It's, it's what a lot of our competition has used on several of their models, but that's not how we're going to build a Matthews. The Matthews uh, is way more expensive and, and uh, you, you know, complicated to, to build it from solid billets or forgings, but we build them that way because it's, you know, it, it goes right along with our mission statement. We're just going to build the highest level bows that we can possibly build. Gotcha. So you got the Matthews line that's kind of staying to the old tradition of an an old being not old at all 20 years old or so but still kind of going back to the roots of what matthews started in the beginning then you've got the mission line that is introducing some of the the ways in which the competitors are making bows which kind of is in contrast to the matthews way but still because let's face it you revolutionized the country in in bows and you've now got a target on your back from all your competition you're you're now the the one to go after so the competition takes your model and tries to recreate it but finds cheaper and faster ways to produce it and most likely you need to come up with a solution to that problem and the mission line is the solution Right, and it's not only for Matthews. Um, basically, just as a basic, this isn't a rule, but you know, admission is uh, 700 and less, and Matthews is typically 700 and higher in, okay. in uh, retail sales. Yep. But what happens there is our distribution plan is we don't utilize distributors or um, chain stores. We deal with um, individual pro shops, and 
we you know that's our our business plan. That's where we've always been. Is we're, we're with uh, the independents. We're, we're with the pro shops. Yep. And the the pro shops um, they handle Matthews, and the mission line helps them stay healthy, and it gives them a product that they can compete with the chain stores with because the mission line is the same distribution model. So, I mean, um, it's it's also available only through independents. So here's an independent retailer that can now have um, the lower level, uh, less expensive bows, all the way to the very highest level Matthews brand. Gotcha. And it's only available through them. They are the exclusive distribution. They don't have to worry about the store down the street handling uh, handling a bow that, that they're selling. Right. And so we, we provided the independent retailers a real, real high-end, low-cost bow, as well as the, the uh, more expensive high-end Matthews. Gotcha. So it's, is it fair to say that you want to put your seal of approval on a bow that lives up to many of the requirements and aspects of Matthews quality? But wanted to produce a lower a lower entry level bow for because let's face it not everybody can afford a thousand dollar bow. Right. It was a it was a, it's more of an entry level um, product that's that's available to uh, to the independent retailers that you know it's, it's theirs and theirs only to sell and uh, you know it's more of a of a startup line. And it does, you know, of course, it's a situation where if they, they start with a, a mission and then hopefully they aspire to uh, Matthews. Right. That's awesome. So where do you go from here? You've got lots of competition. People have now utilized the single cam that you brought into the industry in the first place. Right. There's uh you know what's what's kind of fun is a few years back we started a line. We actually bought the McPherson name back. Just oh no kidding! Is that right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so so McPherson Archery sold, and then that those people bought Pearson Archery, and it went under the Pearson name, and then they sold McPherson name back to Matthews, and so we got the McPherson name, and it's like, oh, this is pretty fun. Let's let's start. Uh, Matt had developed a system, a two cam system. Uh, that has very, very uh, little timing issue because of the AVS part of it. And so the uh, it stands for Advanced Vectoring System. So so there's a, a two-cam system that he developed that, that uh, kind of deals with timing issues and, and uh, synchronization issues. It's, it's really a nice system. It's extremely fast, extremely smooth. And we thought, okay, here's a hot rod. We got the new hot rod bow out there. And let's utilize that McPherson name. So it's a Matthews, but we call it the McPherson Monster Series. So you're probably familiar with like the Chill and the Chill R and the Chill X and the Chill SDX. That's all under the McPherson Monster Series. And that's kind of our hot rods, the high performance, you know, the... uh, the uh, you know just this, basically the speed bows yep. that are very nice shooting bows that uh, that address the speed issue and then the single cam the single cam is more of the the system that's just you know real solid you know smooth comfortable shooting right gotcha so you so you've recognized that there's a timing or way back there was a timing problem you fix that then you realize that as people want there's a demand for speed and you fix that problem by putting that through the Pearson line. 
Right. And, you know, we, we you know, McPherson line. McPherson line. It, right. it's, yeah, that's a McPherson. And what's interesting is, is people are, it's funny because our history is so deep. And then, and then people look at us and it's like, oh, those single cam guys are building two cam bows. Well, well, we were building two cam bows for years before we started Matthews. Sure. You know, whole right. McPherson line was originally two cams anyway. So right. we're not foreigners to how that works. We're, you know, we understand the, uh, the, uh, uh, makeup of, of two cam bows and, and Matt is an incredible camera and designer. So, I mean, yeah. his systems that, that he creates are, are really, really uh, usually the, the top level uh, products that are available. Where did, where did Matt get his, his training in this? Is it, did he, did he, is he an engineer by trade or did, did he go to school for it? Where did he get this, this know-how? It's, he, you know, Matt is, a, is an extremely interesting person. He's so, um, he's, he's just a super nice guy. In, in his education in camming and development and all this stuff is really, uh, he can't look at anything without tearing it apart. If he, if he, when he looks at something, he, he has to figure out how it works and, and he retains that information like unbelievably. Um, so if he's, if he's working on a project, and three years later, he runs into the similar situation. He he remembers exactly how he dealt with it, you know, in the past. Where um, he's really quite self-taught, but it's um, it, it's amazing what what he knows. He can sit with a group of engineers. We have engineer other engineers that work with us. That um, um, you know, he, Matt can sit right there and have a total conversation that is over my head. That. Um, you know, I mean, he understands, he gets it. I mean, he, he, he just knows how the, the mechanics of, of everything work. Hmm, very interesting. So what were, there must have been some failures along the way. Not everything is a success. You have to fail in order to <laughs> succeed. So what were some of the failures that you would say came about? Oh, most, most of the failures that ever happened at Matthews, nobody ever saw. Right. <laughs> because, I would expect because, uh, yeah, we weed them out before they ever get to the, get to the public. But you know what? Uh, we, we, we always joke around and, and uh, say this, that the way you learn how to build something is first learning how not to build it. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, so we did that a few times. We built a lot of stuff that we, uh, we figured, uh, you know what, that's exactly not how to do that. <laughs> Right. I always say, and then we simply figure out how that it needs to be built, and that's the direction we go. Right. I've always said, and still say, that I rarely do anything right until I've done it wrong. And that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So you've got some. Uh, you still have challenges ahead of you. You still have competition uh, coming in all over the map. What's your answer to that? Well, you know, yeah, there is there is some competition out there that that is uh, building some some good products now, and you know, there's there's a lot of information and in, in uh, technologies and innovation out there that will build a great bow. I think the trick to it is, you know, stay true to your your business plan and and uh, you know, take care of the independent retailers, which is where we're at. You know, that's our our chosen form of distribution, and uh, you know, we're loyal. We're loyal as a lab, every every direction. But you look, you'll see consistency with Matthews, and we don't don't uh, waver all over the board and chase chase numbers. We we stick uh, stick with the plan. Gotcha. So you just kind of stick to the plan, keep true to your roots, and, and keep moving forward. Um, right. All right as, so as far as innovation, you know, innovation is is constantly changing. 
And, you know, Matt gets hit with that question all the time. And my friends always ask me, where are you going to go with bows? Where does it go from here? Because it's, uh, you know, things are getting pretty well maxed out. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of reaching a plateau and usually Matt smiles. It's not, uh, he's always got something cooking. He's always got another idea. He's always got another design. He's always exploring new avenues on, on how to make uh, what's out there better. Yeah. Is Matthew's a public company or is it still private? It's privately owned. Privately owned. Is there yeah. any, Matt any... McPherson, the, the sole owner and, and uh, Steve McPherson is our president. Okay. And Steve and Matt are related? They're brothers, yeah. Brothers. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve McPherson, who is president of Matthews Incorporated, is uh, is Matt McPherson's brother. Gotcha. So it's still a family-owned company, started in a garage. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as, like, let's talk about some older bows. Do you have any particular favorites? Well, you know, there's been some bows. Uh, there's there's some real benchmark bows in Matthews. Um, over the years, there was a bow called the... Uh, the Outback, um, it was short for the time. It was short. It was, you know, like 32 inches axle to axle and, and uh, um, lightweight. And and uh, another bowl that was out there was called the, the Ultralight. really kind of put us on the map. And then the Outback. And then the, there was the uh, MQ-1 and MQ-32 and Q-2. And there's there's been a lot of benchmark bows out there. Typically, we'll have a, a real innovative year and uh like for example the q2 year and then the, the sq2 was a shorter version of the q2 where it's a little bit softer innovation introduction but it's a real quality bow as far as you know forgiveness and you know how it shoots and everything so you know that's that's kind of our our drill is we'll we'll advance innovation and then support it with all the different different little niche bows and then we advance innovation again and then support it gotcha oh i still have an mq32 it was the first it's a great bow, bow. <laughs> it's a great bow it was the first bow i actually spent a good amount of my money on and it's the only bow I've spent a good amount of my on. It's kind of like the old Maytag washer. You don't have to, you know, you very rarely have to call in for a fix. Um, I just recently had it tuned up, and the guy looked at me and said, this thing's in perfect shape, and uh, you don't have to do, any, do anything else. It's still shooting deer. I still It still functions just like it did the day I got it. So. Is that one of the things that uh, one of the things that I, I say and that I that I think about you, you know is some of our some of our, the worst competitions that Matthews has is our previous models right because uh, there are, you, you know you could take some of those previous models maybe not as far back as the MP32 <laughs> but you could take some of the the previous models that are no longer in our lineup and reintroduce it and put it out there and it's competitive with today's equipment right i mean you know we've actually moved beyond and that's a little bit of what happened why mission came on board because uh, the matthews innovations that are out there some of the past stuff is still really good stuff and so with mission archery we're able to implement some of those innovations into a line that is very very nice that uh, that matthews has already moved past yep I bought the MQ32 in 1999. Yeah, 98, eight or nine. 98, yeah. 99. Yes. And I've never needed another bow. Um, so that's <laughs> that's got to be building in some of your own competition. Like it's your the quality is so high, it might be the one and only bow you'll ever need to buy. So that's a challenge in itself to try to make more bows and you just have to find more people that want to buy bows. I mean, there's always the few that 
want to buy new. I'm just I like to hold on to things a long time. Well, and that's where that's where you know we we did see some of that, and that's why uh, I guess it's 12 years ago now we were implemental in starting the National Auction the School Program. Yep, nice. And uh, we were very uh, we were very uh, excited about the opportunities to get archery back into the school systems, and with the divisions of wildlife working with the the state uh, school boards and school systems. Um, it worked out really, really well to reintroduce archery into SIAD programs and then and then eventually move on to after-school programs. And, you know, the national tournament this year, there was 11,000 kids in one building shooting archery. Largest archery tournament on record. It's a Guinness Book of World Record largest archery tournament. 11,000 kids with bow and arrows in an auditorium. <laughs> gotcha. That's awesome. So you're going to con- continue to support archery programs across the United States to make sure that the industry and the sport continues to grow so that you can keep making bows for people that, that need them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The National Archery School Program is, is a really nice, nice part. I guess there's like, I, I may not have this number exact, but there's over, over like 2.3 million students annually taught archery during FIED through that program. Mm. And we have other programs like Center Shot. And Center Shot is uh, basically it's archery in the churches. So it's a, the church systems through, through fellowship groups that uh, that have implemented archery uh, into their into their churches, which is pretty cool. Right, that's really cool. That's that's a nice. Um, basically, you're you're promoting the sport as well as providing for the sport. So that's that's key, instrumental. How right. how many people do you have working for you now? Well, it fluctuates, but there is approximately 450 people at uh, at the McPherson companies. Excellent. How big is the facility that you're working out of now? Uh, you know, it, it's constantly changing. We've, uh, you know, we, we build McPherson guitars now as well, but the the Matthews, the Mission bows, the uh, the Genesis bows. So there's a, a Brennan factory, there's a McPherson guitar factory, there's a Matthews plant, and then we just completed construction on a on a really large uh, new machine shop, and uh, and there's a test area. So I mean, um, I would say there's probably 250,000 square foot under roof. Wow. And so you've got guitars, you've got two brands of bows being made, you've got a, a brand new machine shop that's probably just going to be able to ramp up production. Um, and the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing crossbow companies out there. In a crossbow um, division now. Right. The MXP crossbows are going like crazy. That's becoming very, very popular. And again, same distribution plan, independent retailers. And uh, so we're allowing those independent retailers to sell product that that isn't available just anywhere. And uh, um, it's, it's, they're doing really, really well for us. That's very cool. So bows, guitars, crossbows, anything else coming down the pike? No, that's that's really Matt's passions. The guitars have been around for a long time, and uh, he's always built guitars and always built bows. And, and the crossbow is kind of a natural, a natural next step because the the prod or the bow part, um, you know, that was right up Matt's alley as far as design and development. And uh, he, you know, he's he's got a lot of lot of innovative ideas for that. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, how do you keep the secrets secret? Uh, it really is fairly limited on the people that know what's going on. Um, Matt has his own R&D department. Yeah. It's off. It's not connected to the Matthews plant. It's in a different location. And there's just a handful of us that work in that department and, uh, um, and, and help Matt and, you know, our, our um, 
working over there, they have they actually have the capabilities to build at the R and D department. They have capabilities to build stuff start to finish. Their CNC machines and and uh, everything at that location. Gotcha. And we also have uh, engineers that that uh, help us with different projects in Florida, and uh, that'd be Gary Simons and John Simons and Henry Galt, and they're they're actually capable of, of building bows start to finish down there. They have their own machinery and everything down there, so they help us with other projects. And then there is an engineering team here at Matthews Incorporated in the factory that kind of takes the concepts from that, and this department figures out you know how to put it into production. So it doesn't sound like there's any any change coming soon. You're just going to keep on driving forward with new technology, building out your well. Plans. It it constantly changes, and I think yeah, I, I you know I always look at it like there's always huge change <laughs> just sure. around the corner. <laughs> but well, as far as uh, as far as what our goals are and what our what our uh, business plan is, that you know it's we 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 stick to our guns. You know we're right. extremely loyal. It's constant in that you're going to continue to be on the cutting edge of everything you do or attempt to be. And and apply the change where necessary. I guess that's the the constant. You you the constant is change. You know that you have to change. You will change, and you're going to try to be the leader no matter where you go. There's uh, there's there's always new product around the bend. Like I said, especially with especially with Matt and any <laughs> any of my fellow employees that that, that hear this are going to just smile because he's always he's always got great ideas. I mean, he he's he's got ways to make things better continuously. I mean, he's. Mm-hmm. You know, he just—he always looks at it. even those, even the stuff that that uh, he's completed. He's extremely proud of, but he'll analyze his own work and and you know try to figure out what in the future might make that even better. Wow, pretty intense individual. Uh, <laughs> does he uh, does he get <laughs> he, out? He's amazing. He... I don't I don't know how he gets it done. He is yeah. he's really really an amazing guy. Well, that's cool, uh, Joel. I, this has been awesome, and thank you for. For spending about an hour with us, just going over the ins and outs of Matthews, it's something I've always wanted to to know about, and I'm sure there are a bunch of fans that buy your products and have over the years that always wanted to know the the intimate story behind the Matthews brand, and and now we know. So that this has been fantastic. Well, we're we're honored to uh, honored just to be able to uh, provide to, to the bow hunters out there the products that we we make and you know i I appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us here and and, uh we appreciate all the support excellent well we'll definitely catch you again and if the there's anything we can do for you just let us know if you got a new product coming out you want to kind of introduce it on the big buck registry we'd be happy to do that for you sounds great okay thanks again well thanks to joel maxfield for joining us on the big buck registry and giving us a history lesson in the matthews inc uh, the company is just an amazing story. It's a great American story, don't you agree, Dusty? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, Matthews catches if you can. That's right. That is, uh, and every year they come out with a great new bow. Of course, I'm still shooting my MQ32, which has done me well. And uh, as I said in the show, it's the only bow I ever spent a lot of money on. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever need to spend money on another bow. It's that good, you know? Right, and, right, right. Agreed. Uh, you take care of, you know, Matthew's bow is just like anything else. You take care of it, it'll take care of you. Yep. It is kind of funny that they, if you make them so well that they become essentially so good that you can't sell another one in, in some ways. It's kind of a, a almost a defeating prophecy. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, also the bow industry is, is so, every, every year there's so much new technology coming out with a bow. Yeah. 
that you know a lot of the hunters want the latest greatest best and you know these new bows are so forgiving that it's actually helping not i'm not saying everybody is a bad shot but if you have an unstable hand or you know you're not the best shot a new bow will actually increase your shooting abilities Uh, no no question the technology takes a lot of that um a lot of those variables out of the equation that's awesome you're actually absolutely right that's that's exactly that's a very good point and the way that the competition is, it's almost like bow wars now. It's like every every company's got to advance, and they've got to answer for the last new wave or new last new bow that came out. The next company's got another answer for that. So it really has become the great American capitalist society uh, of bows, just trying to beat the next guy, and it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's the technology has come a long, long way, and it's just going to keep advancing. And you know, that's something that they can always tweak something on a bow that can can be the new next greatest thing. So you know, every year you're going to see new bows. That, that, that's a fact. It's happening every year. Every single you're going, year, you're going to see something new come out, and it's something that's going to help you. You know, take your hunt to the next level. Yep, but that was awesome. Thank you to Joel and and uh, Matthews for joining us and giving us a good insight on what's really going on on the inside of Matthews Inc. Um, you know what time it is, Dusty? I, I think I do actually. It's time for the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. You know, I'm, I'm going out there and I'm going to tell you straight up from from Jay and myself. You know, this is the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week, but also this is this is something that's uh, near and dear to me and Jay that we want you back to listen to the next show. Put your safety harness on. Yes. Live to hunt another day. Yeah. You know, there, there is nothing worse than a story about a friend, a relative, a brother, sister, you know, a long distance relative or friend. There's nothing worse than seeing a story about a hunter that's passed or really got beaten up real bad because they didn't take that extra three to five minutes to slide on a safety harness. Yep. You ever, do you know of anybody um, that either died from a hunting accident like that or? Um, you know, I, I don't directly know anybody, but I've heard three to 500 stories about people that yep. either died, got, uh, you know, broke their back, shattered their legs, can't walk now, they're in a yep. wheelchair. You know, there's just too many horror stories about not wearing a safety harness. Yep. And I actually, a good friend of mine fell out of a, a tree stand, um, shattered his left leg badly. I mean, really bad. Um, he's, he's back, back hunting and walking again, but it could have ended tragically, uh, more tragically than it did. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it, that, that's my chubby times tip of the day. Put your safety harness on. It only takes a few minutes. Yeah. Save your own life. I'm going to add to that just one on top of that, just a little bit dusty. Absolutely. Not only wear your safety harness, but check your safety harness at the beginning of the season. And every time you go out to make sure that it's still in good shape. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point too, Jay. Because I think that we often forget to check that stuff. Yes, we have it, but then we just, oh, we got it. We'll put it on. It's going to work. I think those things wear down over time. And if you're not upgrading your your safety systems, that that could fail fairly easily if you're not paying attention. Yeah, agreed. You know, that it, there's always something there that, that needs a double check. It needs a triple check. Make sure that your rigging, your safety rigging, is up to you know it's up to snuff and and going to save your life because it, it's very very good possibility that when you least expect it you're going to mostly need it right great tip awesome tip 
the Chubby Tines tip of the week. Awesome. Um, well, so how do we reach out to you, Dusty? How do we find you on Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can also look me up at Dusty Huntneck right there on Facebook. Jay, how can the listeners get with you at the Big Buck Registry? All right. So BigBuckRegistry.com is our main site. It's our blog site as well. Uh, on Facebook, it's Facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. Twitter is twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. Um, we're also on YouTube at Big Buck Registry. And if you'd like to call the show and leave some feedback, 724-613-2825. And if you would, please, if you like this show, go over to iTunes, um, get into your iTunes account on your computer, get on in your iTunes or podcast app on your iPhone or any iDevice, and go leave us a five-star review. And uh, it's it's a little complex, I have to admit. It's not the easiest thing to do to leave a review. But if you do love this show, please leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to hear from you. Absolutely. Send us an email, too. Send me uh, an email, uh, feedback at, at uh, feedback at bigbuckregistry.com. You know, we love the listeners, and we want to know what you think about the show. We, that You know, we, we love to hear what you think. We really do. Yeah, I love our listeners. I love our community. I love everything that's going on, and I, I, I'd like to hear from you guys because uh, I want to hear what you want to know about because we can, we can do that. We can go find these people that you want to hear about, and um, we're always up for suggestions about how to change the show, even guests you'd like to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just give us your input, good or bad. We want to know. Absolutely. Well, Dusty, I think that's a night, man. Awesome. You know, I'm jacked up, pumped up, fired up, and I am all mineraled up tonight. I'm ready for hunting season to kick off. That's awesome. Well, I just want to remind you who we have up next week. Heartland Bowhunter. Awesome. So if you're a... You know who the Heartland Bowhunter guys are? Stay tuned because it's a great show. Next yeah, week. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and be careful with them buck bombs in the woods. Yeah, don't spray yourself like Dusty and I did. <laughs> hey, I'm Dusty Phillips. I'm Jay Scott. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait.